this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we are doing our second episode, our second part of our two-part James Bond podcast. It was much hyped by us over the past year and a half of just, (laughs) we've got this Bond podcast, who knows when it'll drop, but like the thing was that No Time to Die kept getting pushed back. And so we were constantly trying to attach it to that. And then as we announced last week, Adam is leaving. And so the podcast is coming to an end. So we really have to do it now. We have to do this now. And, um, and if you uh, decided to skip the first podcast because you don't care about the old bomb Bond movies, uh, surprise, the Collider podcast only has two episodes. <laughs> I know. Welcome to the show. We're leaving. <laughs> the party is almost over. But in this episode, we will talk about the Bond movies belonging to Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Uh, the, which I think are, is a really interesting period of Bond because it's the post-Cold War Bond. Yeah, uh, Bond was such a Cold War product with uh, Spectre kind of standing in for all these Cold War fears. And when that goes away, you know, what, you know, what does a spy do at that point? And it, it was also important that I believe it was seven years between the last Dalton film and the first and GoldenEye. Uh, I think it was six, but six, it was like the longest gap there had been. Yeah. So between that gap, you know, Bond kind of relaunches itself. And I think GoldenEye is still remains a terrific movie. And we had the pleasure, if you haven't listened to that episode of talking with its director, Martin Campbell, uh, who directed both that and Casino Royale. Uh, But I think GoldenEye, GoldenEye is still aces i think as a bond film it's it's a lot of fun to watch bond drive a tank through what i believe is saint <laughs> petersburg <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it is forever linked to the n64 game and in, in my mind and mm. in a, a lot of people's minds i rewatched it recently um because as i mentioned before i was doing the bond rewatch in 2020 and then the pandemic hit and i just hit pause so when i picked up uh i picked up at the final dalton and then moved right into goldeneye uh, this was about a month ago and it's a weird experience having like obsessively play the game as a kid because like the story moves through the levels of the game <laughs> and like you know you get to the end and you're like oh i forgot about the jungle um and i remember this is where i get karate chopped uh but the film itself i think is really it's a necessary step forward for the franchise it's a necessary evolution and i think it stands as one of the best bond films of all time because i mean th- it's no secret that like some of the best stories are where the villain is personal. So automatically by making Sean Bean the villain, uh, you have this personal connection to um, Bond. I think that that makes the proceedings that much more compelling or engaging. Um, But then on top of that, you're introducing Judy Dench as M and she's fantastic. And then you also have a lead Bond girl character who is not a sex object. Uh, largely and I think that is also kind of a fresh uh, move for the franchise 
And yet, in some ways, the franchise is still kind of retrograde, with especially like Xenia Anya Top, even though I think Anya Top yes. is such a fun character. And I think Fomka Johnson plays her perfect. I think that's that's still like Fomka Johnson's like best performance. Yeah. Because um, it's just a fun villain. Um, but it is sort of like she kills men by like squeezing them to death with her thighs. Like, yes. because that's just how she kills them. Um, but it's, I don't know, the, like you said, like it, it's nice to give personal stakes with like 006 uh, being the villain. Uh, but you got like fun touches as well, like Alan Cumming as yeah. Boris. I am uh, invincible. I am in, I'm going to spike it. <laughs> it's like they didn't want to say hack for yeah. some reason. So he's spiking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if the word hack was like copyrighted or something. Uh, yeah. But it's fun. It's a fun movie that it's, and again, like we've talked about how the Bond is very much of its time. It is very much like a 90s action thriller. Like it's very much of its time, but in a way that I think the better mo- better action films of the 90s were. Yeah, it's kind of like in the mold of like a clear and present danger a bit. Um, although more like fun loving and a little bit more colorful. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I do, I think, you know, a, a big the one of the best things this movie did was it moved the franchise forward so you're not mm-hmm. only introducing a female m but she is literally calling out bond for being a dinosaur uh and right being a misogynistic prick it is it's self-referential self-referential in a way that allows the franchise to move forward through the 90s um because the franchise you know obviously had that reputation of the women were sex objects bond you know was just kind of a stand-in essentially and all he did was like murder and make love well i think one of the best shots in the film is when bond is moving through the the graveyard of like russian monuments of of soviet monuments Mm -hmm. and he's one of them basically like that like he is he's also a relic and i think that was just like a really clever way to convey that idea and really engage with like well what is what should bond be as we approach the 21st century so I thought that was like all like really, really good stuff. And then like Tomorrow Never Dies blows it. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow Never Dies, I think, might be the most disappointing. Well, there it, it's up there for the most disappointing Bond film. Yeah, it just, it, it feels retrograde. <laughs> it feels super retrograde. Um, and also just like really like, it's such a weird turn. It's like, what if Bond was against immediate conglomerate? Like, okay. Like, is that, that who your that's who your villain is this time? Um, yeah. It's this weird, like cross between Steve Jobs and, and Rupert Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch. Uh, it, and like, it wants to take on, like, it's so glib in the, in its themes. Like it, whereas Goldeneye felt, not subtle, but like it, it at least felt tactful or graceful in what it was doing. Tomorrow Never Dies just like trips over its dick. Yes, from the get-go. It is <laughs> it so... is just it's and like none of it's like all that fun. Like the no. like I can't think of like a single action scene that really like you know gets me going. No. Um it's it's totally unmemorable. Um, like there's stuff with harpoons, I guess. <laughs> like yes, in the in the ocean, and there are callbacks to can't remember which movie that had I the. Mean, this is the one. On the this is the one where Bond drives his car from the back seat. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is like, why is that interesting? 
Like why, why was that? Why is that visually dynamic that Bond is like basically on his phone while his car drives? It's like, ah, because the the children loved playing the GoldenEye video game. So to watch James Bond play a video game. Essentially play a video game. Right. (laughs) Mm, Hooray. Yeah. So it's like learning all the wrong lessons. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even know it's directed by Roger Spottiswood. What else did he do? It was a kind of a strange Oh, he did stop her. My mom will shoot and turn her and hooch. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I guess we shouldn't have been too surprised. I mean, but, you know, it's funny. We were like, oh, who directed it? And it was like, but back in the 90s, it didn't re- like there wasn't no one was really like, who's directing Bond? Like today, it's a very important question. Like who is going to direct Bond? Like, yeah. And it's a prestige gig. But back then it's like, yeah, who's going to do like who will do, you know, who's going to do the work? Who's, get, who's basically going to be like, who's the journeyman that we can slot in here? And then I think Sam Mendes kind of changed it a bit and sort of like, no, you can get an Oscar winner to direct your Bond movie. Yeah, because throughout like the 80s and even the 70s and 60s, it was like the same four guys just like trading off kind of. So, right. like, you know, John Glenn did what, five of them in a row. So that was, yeah. that, that's a lot. That's a lot of Bond. But yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies, it, it really also, I mean, it must be said, the video game also sucked. So like, it wasn't even like we got anything like really great out of it. Um, I do remember seeing it in theaters and I, but I don't remember anything about it. I think it was just like at that age. Also like a wild Julian Fellows appears. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the creator of Downton Abbey is just uh, like he's an actor plays the british minister of defense so it's like okay cool sure sure why not yeah why not terry hatcher is pretty terrible michelle yo is solid but like she doesn't really come into she doesn't come play. to the film it's like till late yeah she doesn't really co- factor into it until the third act and then they like team up and do some yeah stuff. so yeah it's not not great no um all right, so let, let's then move on to the world is not enough because I have sort of, I have a bone to pick with the world is not enough because the thing that like people kind of pile on about that movie is like, like Denise Richards is playing a nuclear physicist, her, her, her. And I don't really have a problem with Denise Richards playing a nuclear physicist. Like it's like, it's, because to me that is like, like, oh, she's, she's known for being hot. She can't possibly play someone that's smart. And my counter to that is that the problem with the Christmas Jones character is that there's no problem with her being smart. It's that she's constantly coded as sex object rather than anything being intelligent about her. Yeah. And so like, they just didn't try to get anyone who was even remotely convincing as a nuclear physicist. They wanted someone who was hot. And Denise Richards is, you know, is, was hot, you know, and so like she's doing what she was hired to do, which is to be beautiful. But it's like part of this retrograde notion that like, oh, you can't be beautiful and smart. And but with Christmas Jones, it's like they like prioritize like she has to be beautiful and everything that's smart about her is just superficial. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, and, that's my problem. Yeah. And even the costume choice is like, but can she look like a sexy nuclear physicist? Or right. Like a exactly. casual nuclear physicist and not like professional. Um, we should also note this is the first Bond movie written by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who have since written every single Bond movie, or at least have had a co-writer credit on it. Um, and, you know, when I rewatched The World Is Not Enough, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would, or than I thought I remembered. I remembered it being terrible, and it is not terrible. Um, 
I think something that Purvis and Wade are really good at is crafting interesting plots. Mm-hmm. So this one revolves around like an assassination and it's kind of like, well, who, who triggered the assassination and who's behind it all? Like there's some mystery and intrigue. Whereas I think a, a problem that a lot of the Bond movies have is like all of the cards are on the table in the first like 30 or 40 minutes and you're just kind of going, going through, through the motions, which <laughs> yeah. is why a lot of them feel like a slog. Yeah. So it gets really boring because you're like, okay, I know who did it and I know why. And now it's just a vehicle for some action and the action is not. Yeah. This, this Bond movie has a twist. Yeah, it does. It has a twist, which is like in like for a Bond film is insane that mm-hmm. it even has a twist. And I think it's a really interesting twist too. I think it turns one of the sort of tropes of Bond on its head. Yeah. Um, and I wish that they had done more with that. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately it's not one of the best Bond films, but I do think it is at least engaging or compelling. I think that Sophie Marceau is interesting. I think Robert Carlyle does uh, a good job. I think it also here. like, I also think it's one of Brosnan's better turns as Bond because it like it allows him to explore like a darker side of the character. Well, because M uh, is really a central figure in this one, which I mm-hmm. think they would come to f- they would come to learn that this franchise is really strong whenever you can bring M to the forefront in that way. Um, so it makes it personal for Bond, which I think uh, makes it all the more interesting. Yeah. So this movie, like I had in my mind, I had thrown it away with, you know, oh, the latter Brosnan movies are terrible, but the world is not enough is not terrible. Um, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. I do not remember the video game, I should say. I don't know. Now, now you're just going to be t- chiming in. It's like, and the video game. And the video game. And the video it, game does this. I, I was shocked to find out it was directed by Michael Apted. Oh, the, yeah, the seven up guy. <laughs> yes, and Nell. So that, that was a really strange. Again, like, yeah, they're making these really weird, like, I think at least Die Another Day, it's like, oh, this was like an up and coming action director that mm-hmm. they wanted, but oof um well and about- it was i mean from what i was reading the whole thing with the world is not enough is they wanted complex or interesting female characters and mm. they kind of get there christmas jones is a is a big failure but right i you can definitely see the effort put in there i guess i should say yeah and then you try they try to do that again with jinx yes in die another day um which is Panda- maybe <laughs> the worst bond movie <laughs> there's well, an argument to be made it's not the worst, but it's down there. It is, it's, it's pretty bad because like nothing, like it's a movie that starts off with Bond being tortured. Yes. Yeah. Which is super dark. And then he meditates his heart to stop beating. <laughs> yes. Which is super fucking silly. And it's like, mm-hmm. what movie are you possibly trying to make here? And then it's just like, it has like, in I think in some way, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't developed a cult following for all of the <laughs> stupid ideas it has, because it's like, what if the villain, <laughs> it's a white guy, but it's actually the North Korean guy had plastic surgery to make himself look like a white guy. And then he's like, dad, how come you don't, you don't recognize your son? <laughs> I was going to say, you want to talk twists. Oh, Die another man. day as a twist. Yeah, that's a twist. All right. I mean, it's, it's super, it's super bad. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It just really devolves into like Batman and Robin territory. I think mm. visually this movie is, is garbage. Yes. Uh, it looks cheap. Uh, you know, it's been targeted for its over-reliance on CGI effects, but also like let's set the third act in an ice castle. Like whose idea was that? <laughs> it just looks terrible well um, and also like i mean as we were talking about like how like 
GoldenEye is sort of the best of a 90s action mm-hmm. film. Like Die Another Day feels like the worst of a 2000s action film. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and it... I mean, I'm trying to think of like what was I guess like Triple X and stuff like that were out. Triple X or like out yet? Yeah, Triple Triple X came out. Uh, yeah, around the same time. Okay. And Triple X is like we're a Bond killer. Yeah. <laughs> Triple X, although Triple X I think was maybe was it 2002 or is 2002 or 2003? Um, I can't remember. But yeah, or maybe 2000. No, it wasn't 2001. It was 2000. I think it was 2002. But it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's just it was just like we need to make bond a little more extreme, but like at the same time, like it just, it, at this point, it was just back to that sort of Roger Moore, let's throw ev- everything at the wall and see what sticks. So it's like fencing and then mm. sun lasers and then like invisible car chase. And it's frustrating because Halle Berry is good. Like it mm-hmm. jinx is had, there's a lot of potential there with jinx. And right. we spoke about on the previous podcast that Barbara Broccoli tried to get her jinx spin off off the ground, but the studio wasn't having it, having it. Um, but she is a little bit of a foil to Bond uh, or like a female version of Bond, I should say. Um, Cause she's portrayed as like sexy and suave, but also really capable and, you know, an assassin basically does all the things that Bond does. Right. So, but, but, but by that turn, like Bond sort of becomes like a co-pilot in his own movie because yeah. like, he's I'm looking sort of at like trying- even the UK poster is both it's Pierce Brosnan and Halle Berry on the poster mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just Bond. Yeah. So, you know, again, I don't, I don't mind. I think actually Barry and Brosnan have, have pretty good chemistry and like, mm-hmm. I don't mind the fact that she's in the film. I just think the, the surrounding film is, is pretty garbage. This is also the one with the surfing and it's like, come on, get out of here. <laughs> oh man. And it's so a it's a bad movie. And then, so Bond has to go back into cold storage. <laughs> uh, goes back. Yeah, and I can't st- remember exactly what happened because it's been a while since I saw that documentary, Everything or Nothing. Um, but I know Brosnan was contracted for one more and was very upset that he was not called back. Yeah. Honestly, though, like I think you know, for the sake of the franchise, they kind of did have to restart it, especially yeah. because, as you'll see with Casino Royale, the film that they're now there's another spy franchise on the block with Bourne. Mm-hmm. And Bourne is kind of eating their lunch. And so off they go to sort of kind of emulate Bourne. <laughs> but I think Casino Royale, I think it's, I, I don't know, it might be, it, it sort of fights with Skyfall for my favorite Bond film because it's, it's asking what if James Bond had a soul? Because before it's like just male wish fulfillment. And in this one, like, no, let's treat him like a real guy, like a real character who has real wants can be hurt emotionally, like who has emotions, you know, and can be vulnerable. Um, even when Mads Mikkelsen is just attacking him in the balls constantly. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like to the <laughs> left, to the left. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's wild, but <laughs> this is, and we'll get to Skyfall in a minute. Um, and I love Skyfall. Going into this, I was always like, Skyfall is better than Casino Royale. Recently rewatching, I think that Casino Royale is better. Yeah. I think it might be the best Bond movie. Um, and I, you know, it has some issues. Like, it's very long uh, and it feels long. But as you said, like, it, it's it's what if Bond has a, had a soul. And it's considering the effect of killing all these people on him as a human being. And it's so, I mean, Eva Green is so good. And Vesper Lynn is such a great character. You're seeing through her eyes, like she watches someone die and it really Mm -hmm. affects her and it upsets her. And he has to kind of come to terms with it through her. 
and then like the fact that like the best set pieces are like they're just playing poker or their conversations and they're dripping with tension uh and they're you know wildly exciting and it's not it has nothing to do with invisible cars or parachutes or anything like that no and the film is still like synthesizing things that were popular at the time like parkour and yeah. poker like these were like very big mid 2000s mm-hmm. things oh i played a lot of texas holden yeah exactly <laughs> like that's that's it that shit was super popular but it feels organic to what the story to the story they're trying to tell and i think because the emotional core of the film is between Bond and Vesper. Yeah. And when you have that, it sort of is able to build everything around that. And it feels like a real movie uh, as opposed to just like the latest in a line of wish for the moment, especially because Vesper dies. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry for people who haven't seen a film that's <laughs> 15 years old. Um, you know, but no, but like it, she dies. And like, so rather than the Bond movie ending with, you know, Bond and his lady on the beach and she'll be, you know, she'll mysteriously disappear between movies. Um, Instead, Bond is on a mission of revenge. Uh, Unfortunately, that gets you to Quantum of Solace, (laughs) which I feel bad going after Quantum of Solace because it's like, it's not like, on the one hand, I'm not like a big Mark Forster fan. Like, I don't think he's a great director. But the thing about Quantum of Solace is that it was made during the writer's strike. And so you basically had Daniel Craig and Mark Forrester trying to be like, uh, how do we make this movie? Because we have to make this movie. And it's 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 a hodgepodge. Yeah. I mean, it, to go back to Casino Royale, though, I think that- the, No, no, we're done. We're done with Casino Royale. Uh, you have to move. Sorry. You, you missed, missed the boat. Chance. You missed the boat. No, tell me more about Casino Royale. Well, I think that's what makes it so brilliant is that Vesper does die. And it does mm-hmm. affect him and it makes him sad. I mean, it, there's not a lot of iconography in the Bond franchise, just in terms of like shot composition. There is in terms of like, I remember when he did this and that was fun. But you think about that scene in the shower with him sitting down comforting Vesper, like that's a really raw emotional moment. And I love that the Daniel Craig era in particular allows Bond to be rough. Like it allows him to be imperfect. It allows him to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is genuinely something we have not seen in the franchise before. We really haven't. And I think it's, you know, I think it's also a testament to the fact that like it makes Bond more human. And and note that we're saying human, not darker. It's yeah. not that Bond is a darker, grittier character. It's just that he's allowed to emote and be like, he's still suave and cool and you want to be him, but like, he's like a human freaking being. And I think that's just such a huge development. And I think it also is like a positive development for the franchise because instead of just picking someone who would like look good in the tux, which obviously they have to do, like they're screen tested in the tux. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you have to do more than that. It's not to denigrate previous Bond, but like I think Daniel Craig brings it in a way that his predecessors didn't really have to, to be honest. Like his previous predecessors, like the, his Bond predecessors just really had to be suave and Craig has to play it like a real guy. Like he has to dig deep for emotions in a character that was kind of emotionally vapid for most of his existence. And also credit to Martin Campbell who synthesized things that were popular. So it's mm-hmm. it's Bond S or it's Born S, but it's not Born. No. And also, I mean, huge influence. Batman Begins came out a year before Casino Royale. Batman Begins, I mean, you remember like every project for the next 10 years was described as a gritty reboot in the vein of Batman Begins Mm -hmm. or a gritty origin story in the vein of Batman Begins. And Martin Campbell knew that like you could still do something like Batman Begins, but it did not have to necessarily be crazy gritty. 
Yeah. And you didn't have to overdo it. Like we didn't need to see like Bond at the Academy. Like yeah. you didn't have to, you know, it's like Bond is like just like you start the movie off with him getting his license to kill. Like that's how the movie starts. Although I am still on board for Jacob Tremblay as James Bond. Yes, of course. Young well, Jimmy Bond. Yeah, who wouldn't be? <laughs> coming to coming to Amazon. Yeah. Young people Jimmy are gonna Bond. be like, what? Yeah. No. What is this? <laughs> Wait, what? And then start Googling. All right. Well, yeah, Quantum- I really can't say enough good things about Casino Royale. And it is a film that I had, you know, I liked, but I had somewhat underrated in my estimation. And I, I didn't roll my eyes when people said it was like one of the it was the best Bond movie, but I was always like, Psh, Skyfall is better. Like Casino yeah. Royale is fine. It's just longer. But I'll like, also say I was that- r- like enraptured rewatching it. I did not look at my phone once. It, yeah. It's so good. I'd also say that Chris Cornell theme is a banger. Yes, it's a good Over, um, it's a good thing. It's really good opening credits, like with Mads the cars Mikkelsen, and stuff. Like brilliant Bond villain, like he could oh, be a Bond sure. villain now, but 15 years ago he was still like, like yeah, no one knew, like not a lot of people knew. People are like, people are like I saw a Pusher too. Yeah. yeah, it's like okay, great, but not a lot of people were like, but you know, Mads Mikkelsen, king of the franchises, he was not in 2005 no. or 2006. No, definitely not. So. Okay, now you can talk about your favorite movie. About my favorite film, Quantum of Solace, where <laughs> the guy wants to take all the water. <laughs> he wants to take all the water. Oh well, my God. Quantum of Solace, again, not as bad as I remembered it being. Um, but for the reasons you explained, the writer's strike, like it's still pretty messy. Uh, like uh, also something I was super frustrated by is that, so again, Casino Royale is very progressive. Vesper Lind is not a sex object. She is an equal. Uh, she is interesting. She has an interior life. She has her own wants, needs, motives. Uh, Quantum Solace like almost immediately just goes back to like Bond beds a random woman. Yeah, and he's like, forget the bitch. She, yeah, you know, she's yeah. like, she she betrayed me. You yeah. know, and like, and then like at the end of the movie, he learns that like, no, she was trying to save someone that she loved, and it's still kind of messy, but yeah it's just like it and this also happens in skyfall too but it's just kind of like okay but we have to do the bond thing that people love which is that he has to make love to beautiful women right uh, and it's just a little frustrating because casino royale doesn't really have that and so that was an aspect of quantum Souls that was a little bit more frustrating to me but it has a really interesting like core nugget of a story which is bond can't stop killing people like he is distraught after mm-hmm vesper's death and it's kind of off the handle and i think that's a really interesting um yeah he goes a little at. little kill happy he goes kill happy and then also like yeah i mean if Ves- he blames himself for vesper's death and so it's this whole thing of like will everyone i care about die because mm-hmm. you have uh jim arterton uh her like goldfinger-esque death so oh gosh i hate that I hate that so much. It's like, yes, I too have seen Goldfinger. It's like, ah, oh, but I killed her with oil. It's like, who fucking cares, man? Well, and her character is the one where it's like they first meet and she's like, I'm here to keep you in line. And he's like, come in my room. And then like immediately it's like, oh, they they had sex. So yeah, <laughs> like, just, yeah like, it's oh, just it thing. feels like a sort of again, it's one of those. I don't think it's as big of a regression as like Tomorrow Never Dies was no, definitely Gold, GoldenEye. And again, I'm will I'm more forgiving of it because of the writer strike. But I, at the same time, I'm like, you guys should have just waited. Like the writer's strike would have been resolved and you could have made a better Bond movie. But it's alas. also fascinating in that it's like, it is a direct sequel, which uh, oh, the yes. Bond franchise doesn't really do. It picks up right where where Casino Royale leaves off. Yeah. 
And I didn't really remember Casino Royale when I saw Conan Solace, so I was just really confused. Like, oh, yeah. Who is this Mathis guy? Who's this guy? <laughs> Who's this Mr. White? I also um, it, it is a film that mistakes so it it's like oh the born stuff works let's do more of that but mark forster is not a good like his approach here is off like it's so mm-hmm. shaky can that it makes you sick and you don't know what's yeah. happening and also like the, the 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 action scenes feel kind of arbitrary and i think it's because i read it's like well, we wanted to do an action scene by air and by land and by sea yeah. And it's like, okay. And it's just like, they're just kind of dropped in. It's mm-hmm. like, it's such a weird way to do action. Like, it's just, all right, time. For, and again, writer strike. It's like, so it just had to be like time for an action scene. Yeah. But, you know, it was, yeah, Quantum of Solace. It's just this, I wish it were better, but I don't hate it. Like, I can't even get mad at it. It's just like, yeah, it exists. No, it's not one of the worst Bond movies. It's better than plenty of the middle ones. Yeah. So um and then you know and then you get to to skyfall um which i think you know wholly owns i that i mean again it's very close between casino royale and skyfall for my favorite bond but i love what skyfall is doing in terms of like i feel like if casino royale is sort of rebooting bond into a new thing like skyfall is the one that forces him like forces the character to look or the franchise to look at its entirety and yeah. be like, what is this? What is, what are we doing? Do, and, and really questioning, does Bond even have a place in this world anymore? Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting place for a franchise to go with its, with a character who's been around for 50 years, over 50 years now. But at the time it was like 50 years of Bond. And I don't know. I think it's, it's a really fascinating film. I think the action is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, right from the get go, that opening shot, I think, uh roger deacon cinematography is stunning as always like that yeah. fight in the tower uh with the with the neon behind them oh mm-hmm. it's just it's all so good it's all so good i love skyfall it's great i also in rewatching it was like oh now having seen the whole like all the bond movies i understand why people hate this movie because there is there's definitely a contingent of like people who love skyfall and people who hate skyfall Mm-hmm. And it is also very slow going. Like it takes 45 minutes to an hour for it to really kick into gear in terms of uh, locking into the plot and like what's happening and, and what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. Sil- when, once Silva enters the frame, it's it's fascinating through the whole thing. Um, but I'm also like happy to just watch like Roger Deacon cinematography and watch Daniel Craig like brood around. But I do think it, the film is also interesting in that it it kind of unpacks Bond's relationship to M and vice versa and kind of how M uses these agents, but also she's like this mother figure, but also does she really have their best interest at heart? And, uh, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff there that I really like. I think I just really love Sam Mendes's approach to like assembling the team essentially like, and here's money penny and here's Q and here's Ray Fines, Who's going to be the new M you already know. It's very clear. Yeah, it's a weird way. It's sort of like it's kind of if if Casino Royale is deconstructing Bond, then Skyfall is both deconstructing and reconstructing Bond. Yeah. And trying to put it back together, but with a 21st century bent, which is really exciting. Well, it's also Bond as blockbuster. Like it is mm-hmm. Bond. So in it's really fascinating in the context of the whole franchise because the whole franchise is always copying what's popular how does bond stay ahead in a world dominated by superheroes 
So like you have the event, like 2012 was when Skyfall came out. You have had the success of the Avengers. You have had, you know, people are crazy for Iron Man. Like, what do you do? And so like, just in terms of pure scale, Skyfall is massive. It's huge. It feels uh, enormous. And I think that's when you need a director like Sam Mendes. You need an Oscar winning director to come in who has just as strong a handle on the action as he does on the drama to really kind of meld those two together and create this epic adventure essentially. Well, and also like you say, it's massive and I agree. I think it has like, it feels massive and yet the stakes are always intimate. Exactly. I mean, the, yeah. the bad guy's big plan here is not to like take over the, like the bad guy is like, I could do anything I want already with my computers. What I'm going to, what I want to do is kill M. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my goal. And it's great. Like that's the stakes of the movie. It's not how to save the world. It's how to save M. Um, it's really, well, you know. And, well, and it's it's Mendes's talent with actors that really comes into into play here, because in Silva's first introduction scene, it plays out in one long unbroken mm-hmm. take as he's walking down that hallway, and then it turns like crazy homoerotic, and it's yes. tons of fun. It's just like it's like nothing you've seen before in this Bond franchise. But you also you understand this character, you understand his relationship to Bond, you also understand why Bond may be having some misgivings or like how, how much is he convincing Bond that, you know, M is a liar and maybe doesn't have his best interests at heart. Um, I think all of that is just like, it's just so expertly constructed. And that I think that comes from Mendes's theater background as well, but yeah. the performances he gets in this film are really tremendous. And I also just well, love them going back to London too. Yeah. And I also think John Logan did an outstanding job with the script. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Silva, I mean, think about what that scene is doing. It's both, like we said, it's turning Bond on its head with sort of like, you know, this villain with very personal stakes. And yet, how is he doing it? Through the classic long monologue of a Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's very much like this is a Bond villain, but it's going, the, but, but we're changing the the context to sort of make it feel fresh and new. And I think that's just, it, Skyfall is just filled with all those kind of clever touches. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was reading about it. There was a, a previous version of the script written by Peter Morgan that was different. Uh, they described it as more like Le Carre than, than Fleming, mm. but it had him being blackmailed by like a Russian oligarch who was, I think it would like turn out he was like someone she had an affair with or like the son, like an illegitimate son or something like that. Um, and then it ended with M's death. Uh but Mendez like discarded everything but him dying. But I like that nugget of the idea of like keeping it personal. Um, and like, you know, once you hit that third act, when you have Bond like driving him to his childhood home, it's like, this is, this is unique. I've never seen this before. Right. Yeah. Bond had a childhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, exactly. Also uh, so clear they wanted Sean Connery for that role. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so clear they wanted Sean Connery. And yet I think that would have been distracting. And I think they kind of lucked out mm-hmm. that Sean Connery didn't want to do it because I think that would just take, that to me is a bridge too far. Yeah. That's like, hey, it's kids, it's Sean Connery. You know, the first James Bond. And it's just better to have Albert Finney channeling Sean Connery. Yeah. They're like, Because we all get the reference, mm-hmm. but it doesn't break the, it doesn't break the reality of it. Yeah. I also think that, I mean, with San Mendes coming in, it's unique for the franchise to get an Oscar winning director of his caliber, but he then brings with him like great caliber actors. So you get Javier Bardem, fresh off No Country for Old Men, Oscar win, you get Ray Fiennes, you get Naomi Harris, 
you get Albert Finney. This is, I mean, you go back and you look at Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, Mads Mikkelsen, and I can't remember the guy's name in Quantum of Solace, but like they're not casting Matthew Al- Matthew Almerich. That's it. Um, but they're not casting huge, huge names for this franchise at that point. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas now you get Oscar winner Javier Bardem. <laughs> yeah. And Skyfall makes a billion dollars and wins Oscars. So, right. And so they're like, well, we got to get another Oscar winner to play our villain in the next one. <laughs> yep. Man. And then you get man, Spectre. Then you get Spectre, which I think is a disappointment on the level of Tomorrow Never Dies. It's the most disappointing Bond movie of my lifetime, I should say. Um, it's super disappointing because it has like a good, a good seed of an idea where it's like, yes, you should introduce Spectre into this world but it retcons bond <laughs> into the dumbest freaking way it it does that thing that uh star trek into the darkness did where it's like we're gonna take this popular villain and then create this past this connection that the characters don't really know about but as an audience you're supposed to care about so this notion that like you had bond had a half brother and it was his he's like and now i call myself blofeld and bond is supposed to like give a shit <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. oh that's your name now but the audience is like supposed to be like oh blofeld you know that is a big name in bond but it doesn't matter like it, sh- it doesn't matter to the character so it, it completely breaks the reality of the film. And it also is like, I was responsible for all the bad things that happened and see, it's all connected. And it's just, it's such lazy screenwriting I hate um, it. that the film doesn't really need. I mean, the film would be fine if it was just like, Hey bond, there's a new villain on the scene. He runs this terrorist organization called Spectre. His name is Blofeld go at it like what is wrong what's wrong with it why does it need like i get they're like well if we don't personally connect it to bond where are the emotional stakes but i think the emotional stakes are like he doesn't like it's not like he's been haunted by his half brother you know in a way that we have seen and you can't just be like no i was behind it the whole time it's like that doesn't that doesn't work no so it uh it's so frustrating and again, it's pulling from what's popular at the time. So you have like the Avengers and like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like a multi-film franchise where the story builds on top of each other. So it's like, what if we retrofit it? And he's the author of all his pain. Um, and it yeah. just, like you said, it just has no weight to it. It just kind no. of like, so what? It has no weight to it. And then it's just kind of dragged. And then he has to get like his face messed up. So he looks like Blofeld at the end. <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah. It's just like, why are we doing? And then yes, like, put in like the special torture device as well. Then like, uh, I don't care. I yeah. don't care. And I also just don't feel like like. And, and there are other bits of it that are just kind of disappointing. Like, there's that big fight scene between him and Bautista. Yeah. Um, Hinks, which is supposed to be like, ah, oh, this is going to be our version of Jaws, mm-hmm. like the silent, you know, henchman. But it just doesn't feel as good. You know, it just doesn't like. It doesn't. I don't know. I mean, and it's like, yeah, Sam Mendes is back and now he's got, you know, Hoyt Van Hoytema, you know, doing the cinematography and it's fine, but it's just like, it's just not as good as Skyfall by a, by a long shot. Yeah. It's just that, that thing of uh, kind of tempting fate. So yeah, it's, it's a, I would say it's an admirable failure. Like, you know, they at least tried um, and I was glad mm-hmm. they brought Spectre in because uh, with Quantum of Solace, it was clear that's what they were doing, but they didn't have the rights to, to say the name Spectre. Right. So, so now, but now you can say Spectre. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's a disappointment, especially again, I, I would like to see a Bond film. I would like to see back-to-back good Bond films. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would like a good Bond film to be followed by another good Bond film. And I have not really seen that yet in the franchise. 
I mean, I hope No Time to Die is good. I, I like Kerry Fukunaga. I like a lot of those writers. I hope it's it. good too. I, yeah, I hope it's, I hope it's good. We'll see. I mean, that's the thing about Bond. It's always kind of unpredictable. And I, I do feel like Craig kind of came back because he's like, I want to go on a, out on a high note and Spectre wasn't it. Yeah. So, it's also been six years since Spectre. So like, that's yes, a big, that is true. big break in time, even though Although it, it was really only supposed to be. Yeah, it wasn't. And, and to be fair, it wasn't supposed to be six years. No, it was supposed to be four. So, yeah. Um, but we'll see. And then um, or maybe five. It was supposed to come out in 2020, right? Yeah. So five years, Okay, five years. Yeah. Um, and now but, you know, and, and hey, Craig now has has a new franchise that won't require him to kick his ass every time yes. he wants to do it. So, you know, bully for the for the Benoit Blanc films. Yeah. Um, but I would say you know, Bond is an interesting character. I don't get as worked up as other people do about like who should play the next Bond. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people, I think, you know, at least as, as, as far as I could recall, weren't crazy about Daniel Craig when no, he was cast. There was they were like controversy. It was like, he doesn't look, bond. yeah, he doesn't, yeah, blonde bond. He doesn't look like him. And he's only done this movie layer cake. You know, who is this guy? And he's been great. He's been a fantastic James Bond. So this notion that like, I like, ah, uh, this British actor would do a great job. Like maybe, maybe they would. I mean, I do say, I will say like in my heart, I have always kind of like wondered about an alternate timeline where Clive Owen was cast as Bond. Cause I just yeah. felt like that would have been something really remarkable, but I, I am happy to be in this universe where Daniel Craig was Bond. And I think yeah. he's done a great job with it. Who gets the role next? I genuinely don't know. Uh, no, like I've heard one name rumored and we won't say, share it. <laughs> I, the name I've heard rumored would be, be super disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I would not be happy with it. We would, I would not be happy uh, if it was that name, but uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do. And I think, you know, and honestly, I don't think we'll find out for at least a couple of years. You know, I think that they're going to let, they're going to let it run its course and, you know, and then maybe in 2022, 2023, they're like, this is our new bond and this is the next movie. And, you know, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I would like to see, that being said, I would like to see them change it up. You know, if we can have a blonde bond, maybe we can have a black bond or an Asian bond. Like, cause, cause his race is not as foundational in the 21st century as it was, you know, the idea of, you know, well, if he's British, he has to be white. Like, obviously that it was not that it was true then, but it certainly isn't true now. No. Um, and there, there are actors I would like to see as Bond. Like, I think Henry Golding would make an awesome James Bond. He'd be so good. He'd be so good. Um, but we'll just have to see. I think Daniel Kaluuya could make an awesome Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just have to see. And, and again, maybe it'll just be some unknown and like, we just got to give him a chance. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. But they'll keep making them. We just know that. We know that yeah. for sure. Yeah, if there's anything that's certain, they will keep making James Bond movies. Yeah. Um, especially, we haven't even touched on like an Amazon now owns Bond and what that world looks like. Mm -hmm. um, Although they said know, they're not doing a TV show. So. They, yeah, they're saying it, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, Amazon, I mean, who's calling the shots Yeah, is the question. Like that's if Amazon says, I mean, you can say you're not creating a TV show, but we own Bond and you're going to make freaking the Q Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna do it the q chronicles so. if it stars ben wishaw i'm there it uh, yes ben wishaw has been a great great q um 
All right. Well, that is it. That is it. We have gone through all the Bond films that have been released. Um, I wish this podcast were still going in October so that we could talk about No Time to Die because we're also <laughs> both big Kerry Fukunaga fans. Who knows? Um, maybe we'll have a new podcast. By maybe we'll have a new podcast. Who knows? Who's to say? Um, we have been reading all of your messages and we really appreciate them. And we are not ruling out uh, doing something else. Another podcast. Yeah, we're yeah, we're not like, and, and now we are done with podcasts. I think my thing with podcasts, and we'll talk more about this in our final episode later this week, is something that's sort of in for me is like, there are a billion podcasts. There <laughs> are so- all amazing. Then they're all amazing. <laughs> There's so many of them. So it's really hard to stand out as a podcast. And so I think if we, you know, should we come back? I want to do something that helps us stand apart or, or, or something that that's of real value to you, the listener, while also sort of, especially rewarding the longtime listeners. I mean, if you've been listening to this, I mean, again, the show has been around since 2012. Uh, we did an episode on Skyfall. <laughs> you can't find it anywhere. You can't find it anywhere because we had to move hosts so many times and just that whole thing. So it, it's, you know, we, we have to figure this out, but it, it is worth, I think, figuring out, especially with your support, um, which has meant the world to us to hear that on, on social media that you guys dig this show. Uh, it's, it's really heartwarming. Um, so with that, let, let's, let's do a recently watched, um, Adam, what have you seen lately? Um, I have seen a lot lately. Well, kind of, um, but what I wanted to talk about was only murders in the building, which is a show on Hulu with Steve Martin, Martin short and Selena Gomez that I was initially like, eh, that could be fun, I guess, but I don't know if I'll watch it after some urging from some friends of mine. Uh, we checked it out and fell in love. Uh, it's basically, so it takes place in New York, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez play three strangers who live in a really nice building and there's a murder and they decide to start a podcast about the murder because they're obsessed with, uh, true crime podcasts. And one they listen to is very clearly a serial ripoff with Tina Fey playing the host of that podcast. Um, and so I thought it was like a satire, which it kind of is like, it plays with the tropes, but like the mystery is genuinely compelling and the characters have a lot of different facets to them. And what really sets it apart is that while it is a comedy, it's a half hour, a Hulu comedy, it, there's a sense of melancholy to each of these characters. And like, there's a loneliness and a, there's a sadness inherent. And so they all live alone in this building. Martin Short's character um, was a Broadway director and producer. He directed Splash, the musical, <laughs> which was an abject failure uh, because they had a, a door that opened the pool and one night it didn't open and all the men jumped and hit the floor. Um, and so, you know, you slowly uncover and learn things about each of these characters uh, as the show goes on. And you really become attached. Nathan Lane is in the show. He's great. Amy Ryan is in the show. She's great. Um, it's just like a really funny, warm. I mean, it's it's a cozy mystery. If you're familiar with that genre of book um, where, you know, the mystery is set up in episode one and you learn more about the characters as the as it goes on. And Hulu announced that they've renewed it for a second season. I haven't finished the first season yet, so I don't know how it ends, but I am I am deeply invested in the mystery and in these characters. Um, if you're just a fan of like Steve Martin and Martin Short, it's so much fun to watch them play characters who don't really like each other. Uh, so they rib each other constantly. Um, it's just like a great kind of like pick me up show. So if you're looking to watch something that's happy and fun and interesting and like has some meat to it and uh, is something you want to keep watching, I would highly suggest checking it out. All right. Yes. I, on my list of things to watch. So many things to watch. Um, 
so uh, the film I recently saw, which is leaving Criterion at the end of the month, is called This Is Not a Film uh, from 2011 from Iranian documentary filmmakers uh, Jafar Panahi and, and I, I apologize for butchering this name, uh, Mochtaba Mirtamabs. Uh, so sorry for butchering that. Um, basically, the, I, the, the film is a documentary because uh, Panahi, who had previously, you know, received great acclaim, he won the Camera d'Or at the 1995, the 1995 can for the White Balloon, uh, was under house arrest and awaiting a verdict of a, uh, he had been sentenced to a 20 year ban from directing, a 20 year ban from screenwriting, uh, a 20 year ban from leaving the country and six years in prison. And so he makes this film in his uh, apartment and it sort of is blurring the lines of like, well, what is a film? Like what, what qualifies as a film? Like what qualifies as storytelling? Like what is the creative and like, what is the creative impulse? This film only got out by the way, because it was smuggled from Iran to Cannes on a flash drive hidden inside a birthday cake, <laughs> which I just think is like the best way for any film to arrive at a film festival is smuggled inside a cake. Um, but it's really fascinating because it's showing you like life in Iran um, from this perspective of, the, of, of this director and, you know, asking questions about what it makes a movie, um, especially, you know, under intense censorship and authoritarianism. Um, and it's only 75 minutes, but it's, it's fascinating to sort of, you know, at one point he is talking about a film that the government wouldn't let him make. And he starts acting it out. Like he goes into his living room. It's like, okay, so this from this in this scene, the girl would do this. And then, you know, this character would come in to do this. It's like, so if he's telling you a screenplay and how he would have directed it, is that the movie or is that just relaying information? Um, it's really fascinating. And, and it reminded me also, it kind of reminded me, uh, if you need a more current touchstone, it reminded me a bit of Bo Burnham's Inside because again, it's about two guys who are trapped and yet that creative impulse, that need to tell a story and to, even if you're in your own house, what, you know, and you cannot get out, like that creative impulse forcing you to make something, I think is just really inspiring and powerful. Uh, so check it out on Criterion channel. This is not a film. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We have one episode left. <laughs> It'll be later this week. If you want to keep up with this podcast for, for what it is <laughs> for, uh, or on what can, we might be doing next or so. what we might be doing next, uh, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you one last time later this week.